for making me a part of your, what are we on here, Monday? Man, back at it here. Uh, Good to be here. Good show. Hey, we're going to talk about uh, plenty of stuff. Local sports. I'm very excited for it. Why don't we get started like we always do? This is your Need to Know News. Here's your Need to Know News. All right, former Purdue golfer Adam Shank. Strong outing at the John Deere over the weekend. Finishes fourth. That's four top tens for him in his last six events. Let's go. He also uh, manages to move to 19th in the FedEx standings. So, I mean, dude has been pretty good. You're waiting for that breakthrough, man. And he hung around the top five all weekend. I thought this is, uh, like, this was it. Like, he was finally going to get that breakthrough here, but unfortunately, unable to do it. 65, 66, 67, 68. Uh, throughout the weekend there. Fellow Purdue golfer Tyler Duncan finishes 61st. He made the cut, but uh, a 73 on Saturday was not helpful. He finished with a 69 on Sunday. But you love to see a couple Purdue golfers, man. Speaking of local golfers, Faith Senior Joe Peter leading after day one of the uh, Central Junior Masters Tour event that's being held over at Battleground. Brother Sam tied for eighth. 59 top players from around the states. They love to see it. Let's go. Golf. There's no baseball. Uh, Cubs pull out a series win over the Yankees yesterday, 7-4. Kyle Hendricks gave up 10 hits, two homers, and all four of the earned runs in five and a third innings for a no decision. Cubs tallied a 4-1 lead there in the seventh inning. Uh, They were trailed, I'm sorry, Uh, 4-1 in the seventh inning where the rally was on. Suzuki homer in the top of the fifth. Two RBIs for him. He's on a six-game hit streak, hitting 300 for the month. Yeah, Gomes. Gilmer as well in his uh, pinch hit spot. Cubs head into the break seven games behind first place Cincinnati. The Reds finish 29-12. and Take the lead in the Central. Cubs have eight games remaining against the Reds. Board home four away, but Cubs are just one and five against them so far this season. The rest of the month's got some good news, though, for the Cubs. As as soon as the All-Star break is over on Thursday, they're going to start out uh, the rest of the month is nothing but teams that sit at the bottom of their division, except for two against the White Sox, who are second to last in the AL Central. Probably being a little generous by calling Boston a bottom division team when they're still above 500 pretty well. So they'll host Boston for three games. And then they've got like eight against the Cardinals in there. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, MLB draft was yesterday. The Cubs did go ahead and select Matt Shaw from Maryland, the Brooks Wallace Award winner for best shortstop in college baseball. 46 homers in 122 games at Maryland. They say he'll slot as a second baseman more likely for the Cubs. White Sox head into the break. Eight games behind the AL Central lead after another loss yesterday, 4-3. They lose the series to the Cards. Sox have lost seven or last nine. Lucas Giolito... Has found some a little bit of consistency. I got to respect it, man. Seven innings, two hits, two earned, five strikeouts. Good round for him. Luis Robert Jr. in the home run derby tonight. One for three. One run, one RBI. 
He'll head into the All-Star break fifth in the league in slugging. Sox struck out 15 times, though, in this one. Tim Anderson continues his struggles 0 for 5. He's hitting just 200 this month and is yet to homer this season. I know they don't look for him for the power, but, I mean, he's still a guy that can go deep, and he's yet to do it. He has played 70, he played 79 games last season, had six homers. He's up to 67 games this season, so we're 12 behind with no homers. White Sox took Jacob Gonzalez in the first round of the draft yesterday. Shortstop from Ole Miss. Kid had a real breakout. Year's freshman of the year in 2021 and was seen as a top five guy in this draft at, at one point, but really haven't built on the freshman campaign. Still, draft graders think this is a pretty good value for the Southsiders where they got him. NBA Summer League Pacers 1-0. They will take on the Magic tonight, 8.30 on NBA TV. Bulls are back tomorrow, 10 p.m. on ESPN2, taking on the Kings. Extremely weird day yesterday in the world of college coaches. First, Northwestern will allegedly reconsider penalties for Coach Pat Fitzgerald after new details emerged on Saturday about allegations of hazing the football program. You may remember this. We were talking on Friday. He got an immediate two-week suspension in the middle of the vacation period without pay. Weren't really any details on the hazing. I said we kind of needed details to really put things in perspective. But the fact that they weren't saying anything means that this is a real nothing burger of hazing or it was something that really needed to be kept quiet. I was hoping that it was the former, uh, but it sounds like it's the latter. University President uh, Michael Schill, in a letter sent uh, late Saturday to the Northwestern community, wrote that, quote, he may have erred in weighing the appropriate sanction for Fitzgerald, who began serving a two-week unpaid suspension on Friday. Fitzgerald's suspension was among the measures Northwestern announced after concluding six-month investigation into hazing allegations by a whistleblower. The former player, whose allegations were detailed in a report earlier on Saturday from the Daily Northwestern, told ESPN his thoughts and experiences um, with the president, which Northwestern also confirmed. Schill wrote in his letter that he had spoken with the former player's family and had attempted to reach the player, adding that he apologized and was moved by what I heard from his family and the impact that hazing has had on their son. And if you thought the Bob Huggins thing at West Virginia was settled, boy, were you wrong. Over the weekend, a letter leaked, reportedly from Huggins, that said he never resigned and demanded to be reinstated as West Virginia's head basketball coach immediately. Per his attorney, quote, although the press statements purported to have resignation communications directly from Coach Huggins to you and or the athletic director, Coach Huggins has never communicated his resignation to you, the athletic director, or anyone at West Virginia. To the contrary, we understand that the purported resignation is incredibly based on a text message from Coach Huggins' wife. I... I am so lost on this. I have no... No idea, and there you go. That is today's need-to-know news. It is getting more and more bizarre, and I just don't under... I, I have no idea what's going on. All right, I wish I had some, you know, who's hot for you tonight, but of course, you know, we're heading into the All-Star break here. Home Run Derby is tonight. Uh, odds have changed a little bit here. Pete Alonzo to 310 is your favorite Currently holding 22% of the handle and 20% of the bets. 
He is the money favorite. Julio Rodriguez at five to one, uh, right behind him, just uh, 21% of the handle and 19% of the bets. So it seems to be like a two, two horse race here. Vladdy Jr. plus 360s moved into the second spot here uh, at 14% of the handle. Luis Robert Jr. at five to one, still with 14% of the handle. Uh, with him taking on either Rashman, Garcia, and uh, Arizarena, those are the three lowest guys here in terms of handle and percentage of the bets. Mookie Betts is a little bit high here, 10% of the handle. He's 11 to 1 right now. He slipped a little bit. But that's what you got going on here tonight. Uh, look, we discussed this on Friday. But for me, if you're getting into the home run derby tonight, and there is a wind blowing out the center. It's not going to affect. We, we, we broke down what happens in that stadium in Seattle. The wind's not a huge deal. But it will be a little bit colder. I, I thought you needed some power. And the way that the thing's set up for Luis Robert Jr. on that left side of the bracket, I didn't think there was too many people to challenge him. Who's dropped to 550. Julio Rodriguez is moving up the charts here at 450. I think there's a decent shot that Rodriguez can beat Alonzo. Remember last year, he put up like 30 in that first round. I think Mookie could even put some pressure on Vlad. Now, Mookie in the first round matchup over Vlad is plus 175. Don't like that. But Julio Rodriguez, plus 130 to beat Pete Alonso in the first round, ain't bad money. Luis Robert Jr. still minus 220 over Rashman. You can also take first-round matchups on DraftKings, the longest home runs of the matchup. And Luis Robert Jr., minus 310 in that matchup. Vladdy Jr., minus 525. But man, again, plus 135 for Rodriguez over Alonso. Crazy. You can also do combined home runs between both guys, over, under, round player totals, length of your longest home run. Do you think Luis Robert Jr. can hit one farther than 473 and a half? Alonzo and Rodriguez are 472. Mookie and Vlad are 476. I don't think Mookie's hitting at 475. I think you're 100% reliant on Vladdy Jr. But yeah, there's some real interesting stuff here. They're going to give you a 50% boost tonight as well. Do they have just to make it to the... uh, Make it to the final, longest home run. There's a winner. Do winner in the matchups if you want, but and I thought they had uh, one just to make it to the final. Darn. Because I would love Luis Robert Jr. in that spot. But hey, a 50% profit boost there for you to make some money. Uh, best of luck to you. Please play responsibly. Home run derby tonight. See some 500-foot bombs. Let's go. I need to take a look at back and see, because what, 
Rodriguez played last year. Guerrero last year. You know, Alonzo. I need to see what their long home runs have been in these things. So I feel like somebody could definitely push it over 475. No problem. But I need to look at the math of that before I get super locked in. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Northwestern. Um, I got questions, man. How, how does this all happen? Let's break down what we know. Let's break down what's being said and figure out how in the world we came to this punishment. I, I don't I got a lot of questions here. Something we're, we're missing something. Something's not adding up and it might be the end. Of Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Let's talk about it next. This is the Hammer Down Show at 1017 The Hammer. 1017. Well, welcome back. This is the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com. This Northwestern thing, man, uh, we, we talked about it on Friday with Coach Fitz. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere for, I think, a lot of people where. They held this private investigation, anonymous whistleblower, and they thought the most appropriate course of action was to uh, suspend Pat Fitzgerald for two weeks with uh, without pay effective immediately. And, and we said yet on Friday that that's kind of a nothing burger of a punishment, right? This is a time where you're usually not hosting any camps or anything. There's and typically not a lot of recruiting going on, a lot of coaches on vacation, that this was kind of a little slap on the wrist. The report did not detail really the allegations of what was happening or alleged to have happened. And so at the time, I said it's kind of, pointless to try to put our finger on, like, was this appropriate? Did they overdo this? Are they underdoing this? Uh, We really didn't have any details. Northwestern was going to make some institutional changes, make it easier to report things. That all seemed good and dandy, but there seemed to be some question whether or not Pat Fitzgerald knew anything about it. Didn't know anything about it. And we went in the weekend going, you know, it, it must not have been a huge deal or they really didn't uncover much evidence of anything if they were going to do this. I mean, this is, that's a university you would think takes a lot of stuff very, not, not that, I shouldn't say that because I think there are some universities that don't take this kind of stuff very seriously. With, uh, with athletes. But Northwest is a very liberal university. And so something like this, I, I thought, I would expect if they found anything, if anything, they would be overly harsh with punishment. So when they don't say anything and they had this punishment, I didn't take it as, ah, they're just kind of brushing this under the the carpet because it just didn't seem like the one of the institutions that would do something like that for athletics. Then over the weekend, 
allegedly this uh, th- this whistleblower reached out to ESPN, pictures and more explanations about the hazing activity, some of it sexual in nature at times, saying that Fitz absolutely knew uh, about the behavior. So provided some pictures of something called the Shrek list, which apparently they knew very much, uh, Fitzgerald knew very much about, where it was, you know, if you were a freshman and uh, you missed assignments, you screwed something up in practice, you went on this list to get the hazing, and that Fitzgerald at times even communicated two players who were on that squad at who was to go on the list. That's what the ESPN article says. Then ESPN has another uh, another current player that says that the, the player making the allegations had told him specifically he was just looking to get Fitz fired. That he didn't... Uh, that he was going to reach out to the student newspaper, that he was going to reach out with the whistleblower stuff, and if his accusations didn't get what he wanted, he was going to go public with everything. That he never heard of the Shrek list or this whiteboard. Says nobody was doing anything called a naked slingshot or bear naked bear crawls. Despite the fact that the whistleblower says this was in the middle of the locker room for all eyes to see. Everybody knew what it was. It's just, man, it's it's people's words against each other right now. Now, like I told you here in the Need to Know News, clearly the, the president of the university reached out, talked to this kid, comes back and says, well, maybe we did not do the right thing. You hired a private investigator for six months, an independent private investigator. This is the report that they came back with. Were these allegations not in there? There's the findings and what they could prove. But you would think what the allegations for this were would have been in there as well. So I'm a little taken back here. Be honest, I don't know what to think. I do know this. When I hear about uh, coach doesn't know, bull, it is their job to know what is going on in every nook and cranny of that program. Some kids are doing things off campus someplace that you don't really have eyes and ears. Maybe I understand that. This is going on in the locker room. You have 16 coaches on staff. You can't tell me not one has any idea if it's going on or not. If it is, he's aware of it. Then you have another, what, like 15, 16 support staff, and we're talking about directors of player personnel and performance, other people around the program. If you talk to all these people and they say, I've never seen any of this, I don't know what any of this is, I, it's, it's all something. 
But you listen to the release, it, it makes you wonder, what's next? Is there a harsher punishment coming for the Northwestern football program? And if there is, and this independent investigation didn't turn up anything, what does Fitz do next? Say, so you know what? Forget it then. You can bring in an independent investigator and there's nothing. I told you there's nothing. Nobody else cooperated anything with this. It's one person. Maybe I'll just leave. It's it's very it's very complicated, and there's a lot of finger pointing here. But what can you do except for go off what an independent investigator had? I mean, that would have to be literally what, like twenty some odd coaches and support personnel and an entire locker room going against one person. I'm not saying this person's lying. They've got pictures and stuff like that. But he said, if you're Northwestern, you the information you were given, this is what you were given by an independent investigator. And he said, hey, two weeks without pay, that's appropriate. Now, all of a sudden, you feel like you're going to do like a big U-turn here and start suspending for games, maybe for August practices and stuff, too. I guess at the end of the day, I'm, I'm wondering why all the allegations weren't clearly spelled out in the report. I don't Who's dropping the ball here? Who do you think is dropping the ball here? Because Northwestern just does, it's, it does not strike me as the type of place that is going to go light on punishment. Uh, for its uh, for its athletic programs, just don't think so. So whatever was in that report, I, I don't know that it had all of the details. Because the president seemed to have a little bit of an eye opening here, like this is the first time he's kind of hearing this stuff. It's crazy. I thought the Bob Huggins stuff was crazy. I didn't really resign. Like, what happened this weekend with college coaches? How can you not, how could you have resigned but not resigned? How can you take a wife's text message as a resignation? To be honest, I, I can't believe you can blow what the level that he blew. And then, like, by the middle part of the day, the next day, like, he's good enough to type out a whole resignation and everything. Never did seem. It's crazy out there, man. <laughs> this is a hell of a weekend um, in off-field incidences. I'll tell you what. And it's two, two incidents here, and I feel like we got tons more information, and yet I'm still left with more questions than answers. We're going to take a break. Come back. Hey, more Hammer Down Show after the break. Hammer Down Show. 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com. I'm Jared Chesilitis. Man, I'm on Twitter yesterday and little shocked that uh, Andrew Luck was catching some strays yesterday. So we're coming up on four years that he retired. 
abruptly in the preseason. Colts fans booing as he's trotting off the field at Lucas Oil in the preseason game. But he is eligible for the Hall of Fame. So there's a tweet that just kind of pointed that out. And Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk just ready to pounce all over that. He's not getting in, he says. Was he among the best quarterbacks in the league when he played? Absolutely. Four-time Pro Bowler. Stats are up there for the time that he was there in six years. Passer rating was under a 90, though. No Super Bowl wins. And he walked away early. So I don't know. It got me thinking here. Because I think my initial reaction is, eh, look, I don't fault him for walking away in what he did. I just don't. Like you've made your money. You want to be a dad and be able to experience those things with your family. I applaud that. It's not easy to walk away in your prime, especially when you need to leave a lot of money on the table, but he doesn't seem like a guy that wants to live a lavish lifestyle. Seems like a guy that's planned well. Don't get a degree from Stanford. You can always go use that, you know. I never had a problem with him doing it. Doesn't sink if you're a Colts fan because you lost a generational QB, yes. But didn't you just get done having a generational QB? That won you a Super Bowl? You did. To luck, no pun intended, into another one right after that was pretty damn good. But the question remained, could he be a Hall of Famer? Six seasons, four-time Pro Bowler. He top 10 in passing yards, I think, all time, too. So I think he's up there not only in just yards, but, you know, in, in touchdowns. I mean, if if you take his you take his career and extrapolate it out where where he would have gone to, absolutely. But how many guys played this game for six years make the Hall of Fame? And Terrell Davis did it. Because Terrell Davis didn't play in the league. What, more than six years, right? Is that how long he was in? And he's the first guy that comes to mind. How long did Gail Sayers play? Because Gail didn't play that long. Gale played six years as well. So it's not unheard of. 
But coming up in an era where the bar for QB and excellence in QB has been raised so dramatically, I, I don't see it. I just don't. If I put him up against Phillip Rivers, which one do you put in the Hall of Fame? I've, I would put Phillip Rivers in. I value him, A, as like the six most passing touchdowns in NFL history. And for the longevity of the career. Doesn't have all the Super Bowl success. But there's, in a couple of years, when he is eligible, we will be talking the same thing here when it comes to Phillip Rivers. Because he doesn't have... Uh, all of that great playoff success. It was a two-time All-Pro. But the, you know, the rings aren't there. So, you know, where do you, what, what do you do? Would you tell me that Andrew Luck deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more than Philip Rivers does? I know it's a little arbitrary to link the two of them together, but I'm just saying if we're going to leave out the if you're going to go with stats and then leave out the postseason success, we're kind of starting to get into the same boat here, aren't we? I don't know. I thought it was unfair that he, he, I think he's a guy who just wants to fade off, just go do his thing. I don't think he is going to pine to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Put him in the, is he in the Ring of Honor? They put him in the Ring of Honor, didn't they? That's fine. But the NFL Hall of Fame in Canton, I, I, I just, I, I don't see it. And you're just trying to get in on six years of good stats at a quarterback. If it's a running back, you had six years of great stats. Maybe that's something. But four and four all the time in the playoffs. Never played in a Super Bowl. I just, I don't see it. But then again, I'm not out here taking a random tweet and then trying to bury a guy on a Sunday afternoon because it's slow in the NFL news landscape. It seemed a little bit unnecessary. We're going to take a break. Come back. Things we may have missed, and we'll wrap up the Hammer Down Show next on... 
Welcome back. It is the Hammer Down Show on 101.7 The Hammer, 101.7thehammer.com. Tomorrow, Kyle Charters will be in the chair here for me, uh, filling in as I uh, get a daddy-daughter day in tomorrow. That's what I got going on. So, uh, yeah, I'll miss you, but um, taking the day off with no sports and sticking Kyle with it is actually kind of fun in my estimation. So, uh, very excited about that. All right, let's get into a few things that we may have missed. Congratulations to uh, Franklin High School's Max Clark. Franklin, of course, south side of Indianapolis. He's the third overall pick, goes to the Detroit Tigers. Uh, a lefty that uh, has a lot of speed and maybe a little bit of a shock at three. Not much. But he went in front of White Langford of Florida. And um, just great for him, man. National Gatorade Player of the Year. Right here in the state of Indiana. Uh, so, yeah, definitely will pull for him, I guess, unless you're a White Sox fan, and then he gets the call up, and then all bets are off, which I do not blame you in the least, my friend. You go uh, right ahead. Uh, the Cubs got to pretty much an A grade out of their first-round draft as well to get uh, to get Shaw. I mean, the kid just has an unreal amount of home runs, Got some athleticism, too. They're going to move him to second base. I, you know, Everybody I read is like, yeah, defense might be the weak side, so maybe not shortstop, maybe second base. Uh, but still, Cubs applauded for their uh, pick there, as was the, uh, the White Sox. Well, they end up with Gonzalez, a shortstop from Mississippi, who, you know, people thought, the development would continue, and he'd be a top-five guy, but doesn't really develop this year, and he falls to 15. Seems like really good value. Judging by the grades, and I, you know, I don't know these prospect pools. Save my life. Baseball. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> all the college, high school, prep teams, things like that. I, I don't know. Most of these grades all come back A's. Except for the Astros, who apparently picked a bad guy. The Rays apparently picked a bad guy in the first round. And the Dodgers, who I'm more than happy with them picking bad players in the first round. Still, you know, it's baseball. There's so much development. Kids are so young. It'll be a while for most of them to get to the show. I'm happy the Pirates... Just took, I don't care, I didn't care. Take one of the, take one of the LSU kids. That's all you had to do. They did the right thing. So thank you. Uh, some Pacers news here. Rumors emerging that the Pacers are serious contenders to acquire Pascal Siakam from the Raptors. Really? Apparently the Hawks have some interest too. Hmm. Hmm. I think it'd be a good pickup for the Pacers. What they got to give up for him? No clue. Those are just the rumors in the Twitter sphere. That's what's out there right now. And um, as we had in the All Star break, you know, I tried to remain a believer in the Chicago Cubs. 
but it looks like they're going to be closer to sellers. The White Sox remain the White Sox, but there's one guy I feel like that I was probably hard on early in the season, but now has been so much better and found the consistency, and that guy is Lucas Giolito. I last year had watched him, he would go out there and he would throw 10, 11 strikeouts in a game. Maybe give up like six hits somehow. And then turn around and get absolutely bombed in the next game. And what started out as a rough couple of months at the season where his ERA was four for each month. A 232 ERA in July. And he's off to a solid start here with just uh, two earned runs per game uh, this month, right? He's kept the earned runs down. He had four against the Angels uh, back at the end of June. But you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, last seven games, six out of those he's given up two or less. The homers are still kind of there. And does he walk a couple extra batters that I like? Absolutely. Too many instances of three. He had that one instance of seven against Detroit. But he's really kind of rounded into what I think that uh, the White Sox needed him to be and what they always thought he could be. I'd like to see the strikeout numbers a little bit more consistently up around like seven, eight instead of four and five. But he's shown the gas, 9 against uh, the Angels, 10 against Boston, 8 against Miami, 7 against the Yankees. Like, it's up there. You know, the 4-5 or five strikeouts the last couple of games hasn't been ideal. But the earned runs have definitely been down. It's just sad that he's not getting rewarded because the bats haven't been there as of late. 2-1 and one over his last 7 starts. His last five have been pretty impressive, though. 2-1, 2.32 ERA, 33 strikeouts to eight walks. Three out of five of those starts are quality. I've been a little hard on Lucas Giolito. But I've seen the potential. I just expect better things. And he's starting to get that consistency that he just clearly did not have last season. And uh, that's been a bright spot for the White Sox. It might just move them, though. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Hammer Down Show. You guys enjoy Kyle Charters tomorrow in the seat. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. Golfers with the construction on Cherry Lane, Burke Boilermaker is still open and ready for play. This year, you'll park in the Rossade lot near Northwestern Avenue and start on number 11 for the Ackerman Allen course. Bypass the trailer in the lines by paying online at PurdueGolf.com. The Camp and Costler course will be open for members and guests this year, but the driving range will still be open to the public. Please visit PurdueGolf.com backslash clubhouse for updates about temporary parking arrangements. But rest assured when you're on the course, it's business as usual at Berg Boilermaker, the golf experience.